Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 101. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And I'm host number three, Corey. And uh, today, uh, just based on the, the current events and recent news, we decided to bring uh, Chris Orlacher back on the show to discuss what's been happening. So he's going to be a part of this roundtable as well, if you want to introduce yourself, Chris. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I am the CEO of Equibit Development Corporation here in Toronto, Ontario. All right, so let's, uh, Cello, you want to give us some sponsor action and then we'll, we'll get into it? Yeah. Hey, the bills. Crush, crush all momentum by uh, telling you guys about escrowmybits.com. Uh, first <laughs> and foremost, uh, you know, we're very happy that they re up, so you're going to hear a lot more about them uh, from now until, you know, pretty much in the near future. Uh, all you got to do with this company is register and deposit your Bitcoin and, and the seller will ship the item, buyer checks the goods and releases the funds. It's super simple and it only takes three steps. Uh, they charge a flat escrow fee of just 1% on all the transactions that you participate in and you can even offer to split the fee with the other party. Um, and then on top of that, your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transactions where they only hold one key. So we want there to no longer be any excuses on why not to use escrow. So to start that process, go to that website and make sure that you sign up for that newsletter. Stay up to date. That's escrowmybits.com where you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. Yeah. So, okay. So we had, we had uh, Chris on. This is our, our interview for this episode. And we don't talk about what necessarily uh, takes place in the interview um but there was a, a really i guess exciting press release that chris told me about uh, off the air and then but once he released it some things happened and uh, i guess i'll let i'll let chris explain what led up to it what happened and, and i guess the, the resolution of it uh yeah so thanks guys um so yeah what uh what uh, had happened was uh over the last few months, we had been in discussions with uh, John McAfee and his team, and uh, we wanted to partner with him and uh, MGT in, in certain ways. Uh, we felt that EDC and MGT were two complementary companies, uh, and EDC, you know, were very security conscious, and and so you know, really, uh, you know, John McAfee. That's uh, when it comes to security, you know, the buck stops there. And uh, so strategically, we thought it would be a good relationship to have. And um, so we had uh, been having discussions with him uh, about him coming on in some capacity. 
And so we were we were primarily interested in his uh, security expertise and in, in him helping us to find an appropriate uh, penetration tester. Uh, you know, we didn't expect him to be doing much of anything himself. He's a busy man uh, running MGT. He's got a lot on his plate, uh, but uh, he's the guy who can certainly point us in the right directions uh, and, and, you know, help us pick that kind of a talent. Um, so, you know, we set uh, initially the title for that role as chief security officer. And uh, uh, yesterday, we officially announced uh, this relationship. But uh, you know, some of the, the members of the media, without really consulting us first to, to clarify it, uh, decided that he had joined the company as a full-time paid employee. Uh, and that's what they started writing. So naturally, uh, you know, this did not go over well uh, with either of us. And uh, so today uh, we had a, a call with John uh, early this morning uh, just to figure out, you know, what we were going to do, how we were going to go forward. And, uh, you know, so the, the decision was, you know, we'd, he'd still be doing all of the same things. Uh, but, you know, he won't have that title. He'll, he'll just be uh, an advisor to the board. So what, what you're saying is VentureBeat um, got it wrong and preemptively released an article that was incorrect and kind of stirred the pot a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much uh, how, how it looked at, at a cursory glance. They have since corrected that article. Uh, if you go and see it now, they've posted a, a number of updates uh, clarifying this and uh, yeah so you know after we sent out that uh, clarification you know we're seeing that that ripple its way through the uh, through the internet sphere and uh, so of course John is is aiding in disseminating this information as well because uh, we want to make sure you know everybody's got the record straight here on what's going on yeah it's kind of funny how uh, internet can get a hold of some misinformation and spread it like wildfire <laughs> yeah, it, it almost makes this whole moment, which should have been really uh, awesome for us, a bit uh, bittersweet, because it you know it turned into about twenty four hours of hell. But, yeah, you were uh, talking to me about yeah. it, and you were you were really pumped about it, and really excited, and, and like just the potential of it, and you know what's gonna how things are gonna move forward, and also like I guess the response of the press release, and you almost had the opposite effect of what you wanted. Uh, things could yeah. move forward from now, but the, the initial one's kind of like. Not nearly as fun as I think you'd wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a, a bittersweet moment for us now because of that. But um, yeah, we, we're, we're certainly geared up to move forward now. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take the experience as it is, and and we're ready to to move forward. I guess you have to send his wife a gift basket now too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for people to be the ones. That. <laughs> so how, well, how did that, I'm glad everything got cleared up, man. How did that? How did that initial communication start with with John McAfee? That's that's a that's a that's a pretty great relationship to have in terms of security. Like, how did, where, where, where did that come from? Uh, that that came through our 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 own president, uh, Nathan Wozniak. He was uh, acquaintances with McAfee's communications director, Tiffany Madison. Uh, and so, you know, as, as we were proceeding in our development, um, you know, the, the time came when, 
you know, we had to start thinking about, you know, how do we test this thing and the systems that we're building to make sure that, you know, we, we're not making anything that has these big giant holes in it. And uh, so, you know, I, I floated the idea of, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great if uh, we had John McAfee help us with this? And uh, everybody agreed, and, and Nathan piped up and said, "Oh, hey, I, you know, I can, I can send this uh, this idea off to Tiffany," uh, uh, which which we did around mid-August. And uh, the very next day, I was speaking to the man himself. So it was a, a very exciting moment for us. Nice. Do you and got anything well, for this? What about? Yeah. What, what about the? Uh, I guess if you could. Tell us more about the Security Advisory Committee because uh, it's newly created. Uh, what it's going to do and how he's going to kind of aid as a senior advisor moving forward. Uh, yeah, well, uh, basically, you know, the the advisory committee is there to help us, you know, figure out all things related to the security of our web app and our infrastructure product, uh, the SuperNode. So uh, they. You know, it, it, it's a committee of one at the moment, uh, but uh, with a committee, obviously, we, we, we have the flexibility to add uh, other people with maybe other realms of specialized security knowledge uh, who, who can uh, ensure that, you know, we're, we're always on the cutting edge uh, of what is going on in these situations. And so they'll be helping us locate competent penetration testers uh, to test the app and the supernode. We'll also be taking any kinds of recommendations from them based on what they find, if, if there's any gaps we have to close. And uh, anything else uh, from the cybersecurity realm that they believe is pertinent to us that we need to know about. If one were interested, how would they become a um, <clears throat> so-called penetration tester? Well, they would, they would have to be recommended by somebody on the committee which you know would be john mcafee and uh john works with a number of of people uh so far uh you, you can see a few of them on the mgt website i think one of them even managed to hack into a united airlines flight while it was you know in the air and take over the flight systems <laughs> that's dangerous <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's a hell of a so, business card Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's quite uh, quite an achievement in itself. So uh, I, I think John has probably got a, a good network of white hats already uh, that he can that he can introduce us to. And this was part of the reason why we sought him out because we already knew uh, that he was coming back into the world of security in a big way and had these connections. And of course, you know, we wanted to be working with him so that uh, you know we can all. You know, we can all benefit from this relationship. Here's a truth test for everybody. How do you guys actually put your phones on airplane mode when the flight attendants say, put your phone on airplane mode? <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> I don't, Where are you next? Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I only put it just so I turn off my network. Uh, I still put my Wi-Fi on. I'll turn my thing off. Yeah, a lot of the like the the things that they used to say, I, they think they stopped making you do a lot of what they used to make you do, because they finally, I think it got to the point where public knowledge knew that it was all bullshit. <laughs> and so uh, I never I, put my phone on airplane. I mode. put my They're phone in airplane mode just so I don't. My phone's not searching for networks the entire time. 
I hear it does help save your battery, though. Yeah, that's the reason why I do it. Anytime your phone is searching for a signal that it's never going to find, you're going to waste your battery. So that would be the benefit of putting it on airplane mode, not because you're going to screw up sensitive devices in the cockpit. Yeah, that part I never, I, that part I never quite believed. Uh, other, otherwise, every time your your phone did anything, every appliance in your house would just go bunkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last flight I was on, I got caught though by the flight attendant. I was on one of those small, you know, the American Airlines planes, and she was sitting in the back, and she was like, "It doesn't look like your phone's on airplane mode." And I was like, "You're absolutely right. It's not." <laughs> You're such a rebel, dude. Jesus. <laughs> I know. I'm going to bring the plane down. All right. What are they going to do? Throw you out the, the back door? Put you in airport jail. Uh, put, me, put me in airplane jail? Yeah, airplane jail. <laughs> Go to the bottom of the plane. Go on. Oh, anyways. I think I derailed. The, they'll put you in the bathroom and open it straight up to the septic tank. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well... Should we talk about other Bitcoin news? Sure. You got a current event you want to talk about? I do have a current event I want to talk about, and that's the rapid rate at which these companies are jumping ship on that R3 consortium. Well, I speculate. What's with like, Santander? What's going like, on? Okay, so with Santander, uh, they are essentially committed to Ethereum, uh, just based on DevCon 2 and the, what they've been talking about with them. I think they are, they've essentially just made the decision to work on top of Ethereum, which makes them not necessarily need to be a part of R3 anymore, which is why they left. As for the other banks, no idea. Let's I think speculate. they're leaving because they're... Uh, they're de- yeah, let's speculate. They're leaving because they're developing private blockchains. That's my speculation. Okay. Well, what's the... Well, what, what, I don't even know what R3 provided. What was it that R3... Was it, was it a certain framework that you that, had to build um, on? Yeah, I think they were making their own blockchain. Yep. That was, yeah, pretty much. But I think Cello's right. I'm going to back up Cello on this one. I'm going to say they're like, yeah. hey, what do we need, <laughs> what do we need R3 for? We could just hire a bunch of smart dudes along the same vein as Corey Petty, and they can build blockchains for us, and then we can all have our own blockchain, and then we're good to go. So peace out, R3. That's my speculation. That's exactly how it went down in the board, too. I don't know. Chris, I don't think you're permitted to speculate, Chris. Do you have an official speculation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, I saw an interesting article on CoinDesk about the supposed internal document being leaked on uh, Pastebin, saying uh, sort of why that they they might be leaving. Yeah, I didn't see that. that even, even more than the three that have announced so far are probably on their way out. I think the number, according to this document, is seven. Does it does it point to a specific uh, like is it is it R three's fault or is it the a lack of uh, trust in the technology from the banks based on this supposed pastebin document? I, I don't know if it's a, a lack of faith in in blockchain technology. So much as you know, they're not really interested in R3's business model anymore. Uh, they were seeking uh, a- additional financing. It started off, I think, they were looking for 200 million. Now they dropped it to 150 million, and the buyers would wind up owning 90% of the, the company, uh, with the founders owning 10%. And 
I think they're the the participants in R three are are starting to lose. I think faith in the leadership team and their vision, and so I think uh, some of them are just leaving and they're going to be hopping over to other projects like Hyperledger. Uh, you know, of course, Equibit is you know standing by the exit door, waiting and hoping. I'm see, curious. Uh, I'm comes our comes our direction. Yeah, like I'm kind of curious if like so we've kind of seen this this trail of successful ICOs and that like you have small groups of people with a really good project making a, a, a significant amount of money just off initial coin offering and this kind of new funding model that is kind of away from the traditional I'm going to get a company to fund me. And if any of that has to do with people leaving these, these kind of a, a company like R3, which requires a bunch of money, because it's kind of pretty easy to get money right now in terms of these ICOs. Well, I, I'm amazed at the amount of money that some of these companies are are asking for, though. 150 million for R3. It's a lot of money. 60 million for digital asset holdings. And here I am, you know, I, I think I've, gotten more done with 150,000. Yeah, like do you, do you need what what do you do with that much money? Yeah, I don't know. You can hire 150 people Lots. for a million dollars? I mean, uh, give it to me, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll I'll figure something out. <laughs> like, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll make something yeah. with 100 million dollars, but that it just it would take me a while to figure out what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, lots of Starbucks. Lots of Panera bread catering. That's what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, Doesn't you think it's all the an, ancillary, ancillary bullshit associated yeah, with running a company? I think it's a bunch of Keurig office enterprise versions on every floor and daily Panera bread for the office. That's what I think is going on. <laughs> I speculate a lot. So. D is our chief, <laughs> chief speculation officer. That's right. Different, different meaning for CSO. <laughs> well i think maybe we could push into the interview yeah so it's like right. n- none of what we just talked about was good. a part of um the interview and i think this this is this would be a podcast first why don't we have the guy that we interview give himself an introduction to the interview <laughs> don't, yes. be modest. Yeah, don't be modest don't be Go modest Go full out i'm the best man in the like- world Live Macho Man. This is uh, the interview with me, CEO of Excellent <laughs> Corporation, talking about our newest product, the Supernova. All right. All right. Here it is. All right. So, Chris, a uh, long time. No speak. You've been on the show before. Welcome back. And uh, if you could, please just. For any of our new listeners, because sometimes we get some some new pairs of ears in the audience, uh, could you just do a quick reintroduction of, of who you are, what you do, and, and what you're up to, and why you want to come tell everyone about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's always oh, great yeah. to be back. And uh, yeah, so I am Chris Horlacher, uh, found, co-founder and CEO of Equibit Development Corporation. Uh, if that doesn't sound too exciting, you can call us EDC for short. Uh, that's, uh, that's usually what we go by these days. 
And uh, I was inspired by Bitcoin to adapt the technology uh, to the securities industry. And uh, that's where I came from professionally. I was working as the chief financial officer of a little startup brokerage called Euro Pacific Canada. And uh, so that was years ago. And uh, we did some trading in the over the counter securities. And of course, getting licensed to be the CFO of a stock brokerage requires a, a huge education into how the whole securities industry works. And so there's layer upon layer of intermediaries and companies that are in between the issuing companies and the investors. Uh, and uh, that that's where all of these transaction fees and trade commissions and, and everything is winding up. And uh, it, it was an incredibly complex system, uh, really a product of its time. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the securities industry got started over a century ago. And uh, on a paper-based system, a lot of this makes sense. But of course, we have the internet now, we have computers, we have all this advanced technology that people back then you know, never even dreamed of. And so we've got this great opportunity now to rebuild uh, you know, the, 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 the core foundations and infrastructure of this industry and just how it works. And uh, we've been doing that with blockchain. We've also been using um, uh, a few different peer-to-peer -peer technologies that are going into Equibit. And so we've really created something special here. And it, it's more than just an asset register. It's really a complete platform for the creation uh, and management of equity. Uh, and that's what we set out to create. And, and I think we've succeeded. All right. So let's, let's, I have a, I've always kind of wondered about this. We talk a lot about Bitcoin and blockchain being this disintermediary, taking a lot of the middlemen out of the situation and allowing things to become more efficient. And you coming from the financial industry, uh, and understanding a good way on like how settlement happens with you know trading stocks and, and so on and so forth, you understand a lot of those intermediaries and all the jobs associated with the people that deal with those intermediaries. What happens to all those people when we create these systems? Do they go kick rocks? Uh, well, not necessarily. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the uh, blockchain presents a lot of uh, advantages over over the current way of handling uh, transaction processing and settlements, uh, you know, for money, for securities, for really any kind of asset. Um, but it, we, we have, uh, you know, some special rules and regulations in the securities industry that we also need to be mindful of. And uh, with, with uh, tokens on a blockchain, uh, they're able to flow uh, very freely. And that's great for money, but when it comes to securities, we have these laws in certain jurisdictions uh, over something called an exempt distribution. Uh, and these are shares of stock of companies that are not uh, issuing something called a prospectus, which is this big giant document uh, about the company and the risks associated with the company that investors would be exposed to. Um, and, and so if I want my shares to circulate publicly, uh, whether that be on a stock exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or, or even privately uh, in the OTC markets. Um, you, know, you have to have this prospectus done. You have to have quarterly earnings reports. You have to file all of these additional regulatory statements. And so if I want my shares to trade publicly, 
the compliance costs are huge. But if I want to avoid some of these compliance costs, I can do what's called an exempt distribution. But I, if I do that, I have to limit who is able to come in contact with my shares. And this presents a bit of a problem when you have a blockchain where these shares can freely flow anywhere uh, and the, the issuer can't necessarily decide where these shares are going to ultimately land. So we've implemented uh, a feature called uh, trading passports. And these trading passports are basically a way of creating peer-to-peer -peer social networks. Uh, and these networks would be set up by uh, these former intermediaries. And so we aren't completely tossing them out, on, out in the cold, but uh, we've created a new job for them to do. And so it may not they may not necessarily need the huge uh, staffs that they have right now because uh, you know it's a very labor-intensive industry. There's all kinds of mail flying around, and that's all going to pass through people's hands. And now, uh, you know, that's all happening digitally, and so it, it'll be a lot easier and more efficient creating these pre-vetted communities of investors who are able to buy these exempt distributions. Um, and so, more to that point. Um, uh, the kind of investor we're talking about here is something called an accredited investor. Mm -hmm. And in the regulations, uh, you know, to be an accredited investor, you basically have to have either a uh, million dollars or more of financial assets or a total net worth of $5 million or more, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a whole big long uh, yeah. checklist uh, that you can go through. You can find that on the SEC or the Ontario Securities Commission, and it'll tell you just what it is. But it's pretty much the same, you know, checklist wherever you go that has decided to implement these rules. I like uh, it's a very pleasant way of putting it. We didn't we didn't tell them to kick rocks. We just rescoped their job description a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> it's very pleasant. Yeah, okay. yeah, and, and I think that that might also be one of the reason why some some of the major institutions. Uh, have been, you know, coming our way and inquiring with us about what we're doing and, and how, you know, how we envision this whole thing coming together. Um, and so, you know, I, I really think, uh, you know, the platform that we've built, uh, you know, it, it's coming from the right kind of uh, design philosophy. Uh, you know, we're not trying to overload the blockchain with too much stuff. Uh, you know, we're, choos we're choosing our technologies very carefully. And so we've got a, a system that will run very lean, very efficiently, uh, and do all the things that, you know, issuers, investors uh, need it to do. And uh, so... When you, yeah, say, when you say the blockchain, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Because now it's somewhat of an ambiguous statement. You can be interfacing with a variety number of blockchains and they can be public, private, you know, permission, so on and so forth. So when you say we are lean and efficient blockchain, what exactly does that mean? Well, so, so we have a, a, our own blockchain um, and this is a, a, it, it's, a, it's an open source system. So when we release our code, we're going to release our code. We'll, the app will be free, just like Bitcoin. And uh, so our blockchain contains the information uh, for uh, all of the shares. So uh, which shares are coming from what issuers, uh, which investors are currently holding them, and you know the transaction history of those shares, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, when it comes to other aspects of this platform, say communications, uh, that is not something that we necessarily want on the blockchain because we don't necessarily need everyone to keep a permanent perpetual uh, record of every message that has ever been sent over this system. Uh, so it, when we created the peer-to-peer -peer messaging system, we had that in mind. And so, of course, the messages will be stored locally by the people who are engaging in these messages. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're not bloating up our blockchain with all kinds of, of chatter. And uh, so, you know, we've, we've carefully picked out what needs to be on our blockchain and what can be stored locally by the issuers. But at the end of the day, everything still is peer to peer. And, I, and that, was really, that was really the goal of this, is to keep everything peer-to-peer, -peer, as secure as possible, uh, and, and picking the right technology for the right job. Yeah, you were, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and you were mentioning kind of the, I would, I'd say, like the, the tools that you've developed to manage the digital assets and and securely dealing with a lot of the signing, so on and so forth. Can, do, you, do you consider yourself more of a blockchain company or a digital asset management company that just incorporates blockchain? Uh, no, we don't manage anybody's assets. Uh, so we see ourselves as a software firm first and an infrastructure firm second. Okay. So, you know, the software would be the Equibit uh, application, which creates uh, which would allow somebody to set up a full node and mine the network. Uh, then we have our web application, which will just be you know uh, just another web wallet. So that will interface with uh, Bitcoin and Equibit, so you can trade back and forth between Bitcoin and Equibits. We use you know we use Bitcoin as the settlement currency for all of the Equibit trades, uh, and we've got um, we we have a, a conditional transaction script. So if I'm selling my Equibits to somebody, I can use this conditional transaction to ensure that I get my Bitcoins before uh, the, the Equibits are released over to the other party. Uh, so uh, that, that was another one of these challenges that we, we had to come up with the right solution for. Uh, so we have these two, so two key software products, uh, the Node application and then our web application. Uh, but then, so, so that's more targeted towards the miners and the retail clients. So, you know, individual issuers, individual investors uh, who don't necessarily want to run a node, but they want easy access to the Equibit network so that they can do their trades. Uh, that application is going to be built on top of an EDC node, uh, which is a very special node, uh, the first of its kind in the world. Uh, that does all of the cryptography or cryptographic operations. So, you know, key generation, encryption, decryption, digital signatures, it does it all in hardware. Uh, so we're calling this a super node. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it's, you know, it's just a jacked up node. It, it, it's, it's a <laughs> lot faster and a lot more secure than anything that has ever been on, in this industry. Uh, and uh, so we've partnered with a, a, a very... Uh, exotic security firm uh, who has provided the hardware for that. And uh, so we're very excited about this product. We, we finished our test Supernode uh, back in August, and we just recently built the production stack at a wonderful hosting company called Equinix. 
And so, so that's what our app is going to be running on. Because uh, when you're running a web wallet, you really are there to manage other people's private keys for them. I mean, the app is great and you know the user experience needs to be good. But really, at the end of the day, if you're running that kind of an operation, you're really a private key custodian. And so we wanted to, to take that, uh, that service to the next level. And so we built this super node and um, a, lot of other, a lot of other institutions uh, have expressed interest in this uh, piece of technology. And so we're likely also going to release an API uh, that will allow other developers to access our infrastructure and build their own apps on top of it as well. So let me, let me see if I can take a step back and try and break down the idea of what hardware hardware signing is. Is uh, so you have we we do digital signatures, which is you know public private key encryption, and that essentially mm -hmm. means that you can verify that the person who owns that private key signed this transaction, so you know it's from them. But all that really means is that anyone who owns that private key has signed that transaction, and you can say that. So how do you know the person who owns the private key? signed it and that you need some type of you know attestation and what hardware signing does is it essentially says this computer used this private key to sign this transaction so you have attestation on type of data authentication so you really 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 know who signed what transaction and you have a really good like verification of that and that's what your super modes are doing am i right about that uh, no, not not exactly. Uh, I mean, the the individual operations are, are, you know, it's all still the same. Um, but a good analogy of this might be, um, you know, the 3D graphics industry. So, I mean, I can I can have my CPU render all, you know, my, you know, what, what I, it's been a long time since I've been a gamer. I don't know what's a what's a really awesome game these days. Guys. I couldn't tell you <laughs> the games I play are not that good. One. <laughs> Battlefield uh, One. Yeah, well, uh, all right. Let, yeah, I used to like Halo. We'll just like Crisis. That's the seems to be the gold standard these days. All right, all right. So, so if I want to run a, a session of Crisis and and max out the detail on on my uh, on my uh, game. Uh, and I don't have a hardware accelerator. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm going to see basically like four frames per second. It doesn't matter how fast my CPU is. It's just, they're just not geared up to handle doing what these intense 3D graphics need doing uh, when it comes to, to processing power and speed. Uh, so I go, uh, I, I go down to my Best Buy. I buy, you know, an NVIDIA chipset or, or. Uh, you know, one of these, you know, seven, eight hundred dollar graphics cards. And now I've taken that burden off of my CPU and put it onto a GPU, which does it orders of magnitude faster than the fastest CPU can. Mm -hmm. So the idea here with cryptography is the same thing. We're offloading the, uh, the CPU load uh, and we're putting it on this hardware based platform uh, that has chipsets that do the same things, only far faster and uh, far more securely. So if I need to generate a key, I can do it way faster uh, than I otherwise could in software. If I'm encrypting something or decrypting something, uh, that all happens much quicker. If I'm doing a digital signature, I can do a lot more digital signatures than I otherwise could. Uh, so right now, uh, our machine at Equinix can do over 500 ECC digital signatures 
per second. Um, so if I were to try and do something like that on, on, on you know, my home computer, it would just choke mm-hmm. on, the, on that load. Uh, so, uh, and in our system, uh, particularly when it comes to communications, all of our peer-to-peer communications carry the, the, the same digital signature that uh, a Bitcoin or an Equibit uh, transaction would carry. So with all of the messages flying back and forth, you know, um, you know, on, a, on, a, on, on this super node on, that is running a web app and running other people's apps, uh, there could be uh, a lot of messages flowing through this machine. And so it needs to be able to carry that load uh, without slowing down or choking on it. Okay. And so, of course, uh, you know, 500 per second, it, it, that's pretty good. And, of course, we can, we can scale that up to 1,000 or 10,000 uh, per second, you know, however we need. Um, so this is really you know, where, where I think a lot of people have been focusing on increasing hashing capacity with the miners. In terms of uh, blockchain as a service, uh, we, need, we, we need to refocus our efforts on how fast we can do our cryptography operations. So you're so, saying the you super know, nodes are specialized hardware for cryptography, or at least in particular, uh, probably elliptical curve cryptography and you know some type of public private key asymmetric cryptography. Yeah, yeah. And actually the device can do pretty much every kind of encryption under the sun, uh, but we, we've tuned it for ECC digital signatures because that's what Bitcoin uses. And that's also what we're using in Equibit. So these super nodes can be used for, for uh, a Bitcoin wallet, an Equibit wallet, uh, anything that uses elliptic curve signature. So at, at its current state, somebody's backing up. <laughs> yeah, the, current... the other thing, the other thing about the other thing about the super node is, and it, it carries a lot of uh, really really heavy duty uh, security features. So in terms of uh, a hacker, if they were ever able to penetrate our website, they still haven't gotten to anyone's private keys. They would need to penetrate uh, our, our, our encryption hardware, which is orders of magnitude harder. And it has all kinds of uh, security in terms of you know, somebody trying to penetrate it over the network, but it also has all kinds of physical security. So if somebody ever managed to pull off a Mission Impossible and bust into Equinix and get face to face with our machine, uh, you know, even if they they grab the thing and walk out and manage to walk out of the building, they'll still never be able to crack everyone's private keys. This is I, f- I find this fascinating because I think that security is going to be the model that pushes whatever innovation happens next, and yeah, it's particularly har- like hardware security and. Uh, are, are these types of details going to be available to the public as well in terms of how these things are secured specifically? Uh, well, we're, we're, there has to be some type of pre- debating, proprietary. We're debating how much of our, you know, our, our kind of company IP we're going to reveal in, in, in just exactly how we built this thing. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly conscious about uh, our security and, and garnering the trust that we're going to to want, but uh, you know we're 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 pretty much going to be touting our, our web app as the, the most secure online wallet there is. Um, so you know exactly how it's done. Uh, you know, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. Uh, this is mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the the kind of security that that is employed in this device is is well beyond anything I I would understand. 
But um, uh, oddly enough, these devices are not very popular in North America. We haven't had uh, 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 the kind of adoption of these devices here as we've seen in Europe. Uh, you know, Security-wise, Europe seems to be you know, years and years and years ahead of, uh, of North America when it comes to uh, digital security. And, you know, these devices are, you know, they're purpose built for public key infrastructure and creating as secure an environment that as humanly possible. And it's amazing because, uh, you know, a lot of the banks here aren't even at this level yet. So, you know, using our, you know, our online wallet is going to be quite, quite a bit more secure than your traditional online banking platform. Okay. So to, like, to run things back a little bit. And um, so you said that you're using your own blockchain. So beyond the, uh, your network and these things are, these things are tokenized and I understand different tokens for different networks have different things. Like for instance, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin token just, well, it's money. And then ether gives you access to this uh, worldwide computation on decentralized apps and, all sorts of other goodies, but what does your token grant you access to with your network? So our token, our, our token is the equity representation. So it exists in two states. Um, so when new tokens are issued, uh, they contain uh, an issuer field, which is going to have all of the information about uh, the company uh, that ultimately decides to add their information onto that token. So, you know, the issuer field is, is editable by whoever owns that token. Um, so if I'm an issuer, I will want to get my hands on some Equibits, uh, and then I can just stamp my company information into that issuer field. Uh, so that'll contain things like the company name, uh, the jurisdiction, the issuance name, the issuance symbol, the issuance type, uh, if it's common shares, press shares, uh, fund units, trust units, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what, you know, financially, what is it? What kind of an asset is it? Um, and so that, that's, uh, that, that's one of the unique features of the Equibit blockchain, uh, and, and our token, uh, is it carries a, a purpose built set of fields in it, uh, for use by the securities industry and issuers. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the same standard set of information you'd find in, uh, any over-the-counter securities publication, you know, like the pink sheets, for example. Uh, so it, it's really geared up so that the industry, as it is today, can very easily switch over to using this because, uh, you know, if you're not concerned with how it works under the hood, uh, in terms of the user experience, it's pretty much going to be the same as any, any other online brokerage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I'm kind of curious about. Um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not, not quite sure how I want to ask this question, but uh, it seems as though you have multiple layers of users and their associated like knowledge of what blockchain is, right? And like, who is your demographic? Do you have multiple demographics, a blockchain type demographic, as well as a more of an investor demographic? Or are those all melted into one? Oh no, no. We our our market segmentation is you know pretty granular. We've got uh, uh, basically four different markets. We have uh, 
we have the miners, of course. Can't leave them out. <laughs> we all, we all, if we're doing an open source blockchain, we need it. We need, uh, yeah. we need our miners. And then uh, on on the retail side, we have two markets. Uh, one being the the investors, and the other one being issuers. Uh, so, the, so the investors are just you know people with with bitcoins or, or any other kind of money that they they want to trade on this platform and own the companies that are there. Uh, on the flip side of that are the issuers, and and these are companies you know partnerships, funds that uh, that want to raise capital on our network and and get access to the investors that are on it. Um, and then, and then uh, finally, we move on to the institutions, and the institutions would be uh, the banks, the brokerage houses, the asset managers, uh, and, and and those types of people. So you know, the money managers and the and the people who who are you know, industry professionals uh, or large institutions that have their own apps, and they don't necessarily want to stop using them. Because uh, that means, of course, you know, I've got to retrain my employees. I've got, you know, another piece of software I got to worry about, uh, mm -hmm. and, and all these other things. So they're much more interested in integrating into something else, and and this is where you know the the Supernode and its API come in, and that's really built for for those guys, because uh, then they can gain access to the to the Equibit network and and the Equibit platform uh, quite easily. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, their boots on the ground employees are none the wiser because they're still using the same front end. You getting any pushback, getting a lot of pushback? Uh, no, no. I, I've had meetings with uh, some very large financial institutions up here in Canada, one of the big five banks just recently, uh, one of the largest shareholder communications companies uh, in the world uh, I've had repeated meetings with. Uh, so, you know, and, you know, uh, a lot of issuing companies have been reaching out, uh, asking when we'll have our solution, uh, ready for them because they of course are, you know, so hey, one case in particular was a, a Russian engineering firm, uh, who had over 30,000 investors. Uh, so their investor relations department was, was just huge. And of course it's very costly, the more widely held your shares are to administer all of those mm -hmm. things. So, I mean, if I if I just wanted to 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 have my shareholders vote on on something, you know, that's thirty thousand letters that go out into the mail, come back. I've got to open all of those letters, sort through them all, tabulate them all. It's a very long, expensive process. Of course, if they can just do that, they could just do the same thing on the Equibit platform in a matter of minutes, and it costs nothing. Mm. I think that's your sales pitch right there. I think we just got <laughs> the elevator. We got the elevator. Elevator talk. That's so. <clears throat> that kind of leads right okay. into where I was going next. And uh, after that, we can kind of wind things down. Uh, I, I I just recently dove into Andreas's new book, The uh, Internet of Money, and he talks about the uh, an event where there could be tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of different networks different blockchains, different currencies um, that all offer different functionalities. In the event that is true, like, and that's this would be very far down the line, how does one compete? Like, for instance, you, you're not only competing with Bitcoin, you're competing with Ethereum, you're competing with Z, you're Zcash, you're competing with uh, 
Ethereum Classic, just the countless number of blockchains that are out there. How do you say, hey, use mine? Mine's well, it, co it comes down to your use case. And like you said, uh, and, and I completely agree with Andreas, and this has been my you know, vision of the future of this industry, is that you know, we won't <laughs> have one blockchain being all things to all people. Uh, the internet just isn't built like that. We have different protocols doing very specific things uh, you know, in, in, in different ways. And, and they, don't they don't necessarily compete against one another. They, they complement each other. So I don't see Bitcoin as my competitor. I see Bitcoin as a giant pool of capital that I can plug Equibit into. And then issuing companies over my network can access that pool. Um, the, you know, there, there, there's billions of dollars stored up on the Bitcoin blockchain that isn't moving anywhere. People are just sitting on it. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reason why these people uh, aren't, you know, aren't moving it is that, you know, they don't really have anywhere else to go. They don't, they don't want to leave the cryptocurrency community. Uh, but if the, at the same time, they, if they can't spend it, they have to liquidate it. And, and you know, there's some pretty big uh, holders of Bitcoin out there. And I'm sure they're, they're, they, they might be worried that if they make big moves in Bitcoin, that they can move the price. Um, and we've been, you know, nobody wants that. So, you know, by plugging Equibit into Bitcoin, uh, I'm giving these, these people uh, a way to invest in companies uh, and, and get dividends and, and real companies that are producing things uh, and creating value in the economy. Uh, and and it's, it's a way for people to mobilize the Bitcoin uh, and put it to even uh, more good use. Um, Ethereum uh, ha has a different use case. It's a decentralized, uh, you know, computational platform. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, you know, my advice to developers in the field is, you know, what is your use case? And, and figure that out before you start laying down code. Otherwise, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you, you could wind up building something that nobody really understands or is going to have a hard time uh, seeing the value in. So, you know, I, I approach the situation from a very specific angle, uh, securities industry, uh, over-the-counter equities, uh, and I'm looking at companies like custodians and transfer agents and looking to disintermediate them. So I had a very clear mission when I set out to do uh, EDC. And uh, so, you know, that's why we have the product we have and the, the kind of design philosophy we do. Yeah, I've always, I, I kind of been kind of rallying around this certain concept of you, you can't ever have a good answer to something until you have a really good question and really good questions come from a deep understanding of problems. And, and if you're just, just coding for coding's sake, you're never going to come up with a really good answer because you just don't have good questions. Nice. I couldn't have said it better. I agree. And that, that I guess, I but, guess that kind of leads us into, I would say our, our final question which i which you've answered before can you can you and i'm gonna i don't want to say bitcoin but can you describe blockchain in 10 words or less oh i think you asked me this before i have but that <laughs> was definitely that was definitely geared towards it, bitcoin the first time but things have but, changed and yeah. we're making new things now ah okay so now so now it's not bitcoin in 10 words it's blockchain in 10 words it is uh ooh, ooh, mm, 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 mm. 
I, I don't think it will be quite as uh, as fancy as my last answer, but um, <coughs> blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. A a hmm. A database system that pays you to maintain it. I like that. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting way. Oh, I haven't heard of that one yet. I can't believe. Yeah, we have not heard that one before, and that makes it sound so appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what else sounds appetizing? Supernode. There's a lot of people <laughs> like good myself name. out there. It's good name. That are gonna look at things on the shelf and like, oh, I'm getting the Supernode. I'm getting it. So before we before Anyways. we leave you, is there anything that you'd like to plug or say, or like, is there a question that we should have asked that we didn't? Oh well, uh, you know, just uh, if your if your audience wants to follow us, we have uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, other you know all the other social media channels. Uh, we also have a newsletter, so if they can go to Equibit.org, uh, they can drop their email in there and get all of our latest news. And uh, just also for your viewers and listeners, uh, we will be having a coin offering coming up uh, in the new year, probably the second half of January. Uh, and uh, so our blockchain is going to ultimately issue 21 million units, and we're putting the first million uh, up in a pre-sale. So they will be available uh, to purchase uh, in the next few months. All right. We'll try and put well, those links in the show notes. All right. Well, All right. Chris, you thank you for stopping by for round two. Um, if you'd like to stop by shortly after the ICO and let everyone know how successful it was, then you're more than welcome back. It's always open invitation with TBP. So, thanks, guys. I, I I will be in touch. All right. Have a good one. Take care, guys.